You're, you're muted. on mute. There's a confession right there. Megan's <laughs> always on mute. Megan I'm cannot for the mute. life of her figure out that button. <laughs> Every time. Every time um, I watch her hold the microphone gently and then start passionately like moving her face and mouth. And, and then nothing. we're like, there's nothing. It's radio silence. We can't hear you. Welcome to Montessori Moms in the Wild. We are three trained Montessori guides and new moms. We are not here to be your guide per se, but simply to share, commiserate, and even inspire each other on this wild journey. Each episode, we will discuss a different element of the Montessori philosophy, explaining why it is one we find so important and interesting, and then take turns being blatantly honest about how we succeed and struggle with these practices in real life. There is no Montessori album for parenthood, and we are certainly in no shape to write one. Our hopes are that together we can remind ourselves of what is important to us as Montessorians and as mothers in a way that might help other parents, or at least entertain them. So sit back and relax as we take Montessori out of the textbooks and into the wild. Welcome, everyone. My name is Rachel. I am soon to be mother of two with Montessori training in infant toddler, which is ages birth through three years old. I am here with Laura, mother of one who has her Montessori training in lower elementary and upper elementary, ages six through 12, and Megan, mother of two with her training in lower elementary, ages six through nine. So let's start by catching up. What have we all been up to this week? Um, I'm going to go ahead and steal the forefront of that we had the best play date ever today. Oh, you just swooped in I there. Swooped in. I wasn't going to give anybody another chance. <laughs> it was oh the best. God. Everybody came to my house for toddler craziness. We made a reel. It was great. I so enjoyed your company and your children and... It just made me happy. Thanks for having us. Who wants to go? Sorry, I didn't call anybody out. Laura, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. we are on spring break this week. Spring break, woohoo! I can do anything. I can be anyone. I am free as a bird. And You're I, glowing. You're just glowing. <laughs> thank you for noticing. <laughs> we actually, today's play date was the second one for us this week. Rachel, I got to sneak over yesterday afternoon after neither of our children napped for the afternoon. Super fun. And we figured, well, we'll be miserable together. You did what? <laughs> Look at me in my face. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> she didn't know. You did what? You hung out without me? What did Fine. I say? What did I say was going to happen? Well, it's now fine. that our lives are in danger with our Scorpio friend Megan <laughs> finding out that we did something without her, I just want to say that that play date really was a highlight for me because I also got a little taste of my child's impeccable sense of fashion and she dressed herself for the outing. I usually lay out a couple different options. She wanted none of those. She went back to the hamper and pulled out a slightly used outfit from a couple days ago that she was clearly fond of. And from toe to top, she had big floppy bed slippers with skulls and crossbones across them. <laughs> Torso was pinstriped romper situation with little ruffles at the top and bottom. And then she... 
uh, decided to don an old set of rosary beads around her (laughs) neck. (laughs) Marched downstairs, packed herself her empty lunchbox. She was like, well, I'm going to need this for Finley's house. I'm not paying attention to what she's packing. I'm like, whatever. It's fine. She doesn't have many things to choose from. It's fine. And we get in the car. She's got her little lunchbox in her lap as if it were her briefcase for the evening. And she's super quiet and content. And when I finally look in the rear view to see, like, what is she doing? I can see she's got a Christmas ornament and a brand new still in the wrapper tampon in her hands. (laughs) And she is just loving life. A couple minutes later, the tampon has been opened and she is just studying. She's like, what? How does this thing and i just was cracking up laughing watching her in the front seat because she has no idea also the fact that this is what she chose to bring for her play date like these were the most important selections to bring along we're talking about we talked about last week right the tiny objects we're definitely in that too like i have to bring several tiny objects with me they're usually random and found somewhere deep in a drawer that have to come on the outing or else all is lost. All is lost. I did want to circle back though, to your phrase, slightly used clothes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> because question. I've never, um, I've never referred to them that way. I mean, normally it'd be dirty clothes. Right. But I, I really like that because I'm wearing slightly used clothes right now. And I just, <laughs> I love that. Spring break, Laura's just all got this positive spin on everything. It was slightly used. Last week, he would have been like, these dirty clothes. <laughs> she went to the hamper and picked the most disgusting, filthy outfit. <laughs> Listen, here's the thing. First of all, you're probably right. Second of all, second of all, spring break, Laura. Third of all, with toddlers, though, I feel like there are levels of dirty. That's like, there's like very this, true. We cannot go back out into public in this level of dirty, or uh, we could get away with that. It looks like maybe you recently had a snack that like got a little bit on there, but that is food from four days ago. But no one needs to know that. You know what I mean? Like, there are levels yeah. of dirty. Yeah. So if you weren't judging me as a mom before, <laughs> please have at it now. All right, Megan. Obviously, our play date was very exciting, especially it's like top of mind because we just like, I literally just got home. But a big thing for me this week is that soon I'll be able to change our intro to that. My training is also in ages three to six. So I got accepted into my program and will be trained in the primary ages, ages three to six. And I was really nervous about it. I was really nervous. One, that I wouldn't get accepted. Thank you, Laura, for the beautiful recommendation. We know you're a wordsmith, and I'm sure 100% that is the reason that I that was is accepted. The, you think so? The only reason? The only the reason. Only reason. <laughs> and the next feeling that came with was, you know, at first it was relief, like, oh my gosh, I did it, excited, and then immediately was like, oh no, mm-hmm. now I have yeah. to do it. And for anyone who's ever been through Montessori training, it is rigorous, Hardcore. it is long, it is extensive, and it is time consuming, and now I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> what have I done? What have I done? So, um, by the end of this, it'll be we'll be able to cover ages like very thoroughly, be able to cover ages zero. <laughs> I 
feel like that yeah. was cut. That whole that thing that I was talking about. That did all get zero. cut, yeah. So I you don't know what I'm talking about, everybody in the world. Um, but zero to twelve. We will be awesome. in this podcast. Nice. I really appreciate that you've taken on this immense commitment of time. <laughs> Just money. for this podcast is the only reason I did Thank it. Thank you for that. Because now me and Laura don't have to don't have to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're such a team player. It's like yeah, astonishing. I'm, I'm committed to the committed to the pod. <laughs> All right. Is that it from everybody? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I could I could keep saying things if you want, but well, we'll be back after this break. Rachel said I'm done. <laughs> Rachel's shutting that right down, and rightfully so. Did you know that the human brain has about 100 billion nerve cells present at birth? The network's structure is formed by experiences children have in the first three years of life. Love Every designs their products for learning with a team of experts, academics, researchers, and specialists to make sure they're exactly what your child needs and loves. Their award-winning play products meet your child at each developmental stage. We love that they are thoughtfully crafted with sustainable, organic, and natural materials. We are all fans of their play kits, and all of our babies have loved the play gym. We are excited to offer you free shipping on your next Love Every purchase when you use the link in our show notes or in our Instagram bio at Montessori Moms in the Wild. Happy playing! All right, we're back. And today is part two of our episodes covering the sensitive periods in a child's development. In our first episode, let's see, we covered gross motor, language, toileting, and small objects. And today we're going to kick it off with the sense of order. Everybody's favorite when they're dealing with toddlers, especially. We're not, though. We're not going to kick it off with that. Not yet. Well, no, not yet. We have something we want to clarify. We have some things we want to clarify. I was just trying to get him hooked. Pump the brakes, Laura. Shut it down, Laura. Shut it down. <laughs> All right. Megan's right. We have some some stuff we need to cover real quick. So speaking of our last episode and speaking of language in that last episode, I made some hard and fast statements about flashcards. I want to clarify something there. I said... Flashcards weren't necessary. Don't do them, blah, blah, blah. Let me be super clear on what I meant by that. Flashcards themselves are okay. Okay. I have them in my home. In fact, they came in one of our Love Every Kit. Whatever month range that was, it was developmentally appropriate to look at pictures of things that are parts of their normal world. There was like a moon and an airplane and blah, blah, blah. And it has the word on it. Okay. She loves to look at them. She looks at them all the time. She recently refound them, pulled them out, wants to read them and look at them again. It's one of our favorites as well. Yeah. 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 There is nothing wrong with that kind of experience. Okay. I had a mom text me and was like, I feel a little bit bad. I look at flashcards with my kid. She asks for them. She enjoys them. Like, why do I feel like now I have to justify that? First of all, please understand you never have to justify anything that you do as a parent, especially to us. Okay. We, we are genuinely sorry if we've come off that way. That is not what we ever intended. We hopefully are trying to make it clear that we do a lot of these things that we're not supposed to be doing ideally. And we suffer from a lot of the same, same difficulties with these things. So just back to the flashcards real quick, we have those and that's totally fine. What I was referring to were more parents who are 
using them as a way to quiz or test a kid in a way that's not super fun for the kid, not always an activity that is initiated by both parties, tends to be more of a parent-driven thing. And parents that are genuinely panicked and worried that if they're not explicitly teaching their kid language through things like flashcards and other tools, that the kid isn't absorbing it. And that's, I think our main goal was just to reassure you that the whole thing about a sensitive period is that most of these skills and concepts do not have to be explicitly taught. They have to be offered. They have to be consistently around and and modeled, but they don't always have to be taught. That's what we meant by that. What else, ladies? Yeah, I just, I, I think that it's important to clarify and just before we even go in on this, because I had a similar conversation about um, toilet learning and kind of the thought is, oh no, what if I've already done potty training? What if I'm already giving the stickers? Are you saying that I'm not doing it right or that I... I messed up? Right. And I think that Number one, always, 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 is if your intention is to do what's best for your child, that's that's all that matters. And our goal here is to learn together and grow together and hopefully get better. And the way that we kind of approach this Montessori thing is none of us choose to follow it to the letter of the law. We all kind of pick what works with our family and have the intention of letting our children be as independent as possible while supporting them and being present and being mindful and intentional. If that's your goal too, then we want you here and we want to grow together and learn together and and hopefully that comes off in a way that is palatable for everybody. We don't want to push anyone away, making them feel like you're not doing a good job because I guarantee you are. Parenting is really, really, really hard. And the last thing you need is the three of us telling you that you're doing it wrong. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we had a question just this week through direct message on Instagram and all of us could say like, we haven't done it the Montessori way. We chose Mm -hmm. another way and we're okay with that. And we want you to be okay with that too. Like Megan said, if you're doing the thing that you think is the best for your child, you do you. Yeah. And I do want to say too, I said that we're like trying to be intentional all the time. My child had a cup of jello for dinner. That was not intentional. That was not purposeful. That was not <laughs> mindful. Like I just didn't want to deal. You know, she was like, she looked at it, she said, jello, mama, jello. And I just like didn't want to have that battle. So I just gave it to her. And there's no nutritional value. There was no like meaningful conversation or redirection or I just gave it to her because I was tired and I just like couldn't do it. So um, we also are in that boat most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Please don't ever think that we feel that it's our way or the highway. And please, please, please understand that we are never judging you. What we are offering here is the philosophy behind what we ideally strive to do in our homes, but often fall short of. And it is so helpful for us to have these conversations because we, the three of us at the very least, walk away with some ideas or at least a renewed excitement about trying it again after having tried and failed maybe or tried and fizzled out or whatever it is because it is a lot of effort. And sometimes it is easier to put the TV on and let the toys pile up on that tiny shelf instead of doing a swap. You know, like we get it. We are right there with you. And so we hope that these episodes can be a place for you to find the philosophy, 
the importance of it, some practical ideas for how to implement it at home, and then also just acceptance for the fact that if you're here listening at all, then you obviously, like Megan said, are just wanting to do right by your kid. And therefore you are already winning and we already love you. Like just thank you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for being here. All right. Let's get into it. All right. All right. Sense of order. Sense of order is super prevalent in a kid from about one and a half years old to four years old. So children, especially toddlers, really want to feel a sense of stability in their environment. Remember, everything is still brand new for them and really big and honestly, super overwhelming to all of us, really, but especially new humans. So understanding what to expect throughout the day, as well as being able to navigate the environment freely and easily are some key components to a calm and emotionally regulated toddler, which can exist, believe it or not, for chunks of time in a day. Nobody's perfect, right? When a child's sense of order is met properly, it does help them to feel safe, helps them to feel safe to explore the world around them, which is something that they actually desperately want to do because, again, they are new to this and trying to figure it all out. When order is provided, you typically see the child more relaxed and functioning calmly in their surroundings. This explains why Montessori classrooms and environments tend to be very orderly, very neat. Everything seems to have a specific place, and it does. At home, we can support children during their sensitive period for order in several ways. We can, here we go, declutter and organize the environment, the playroom, the bedroom, the shared living spaces. Sure, we can try, right? It won't always be perfect or stay perfect. This is a big one that we struggle with ourselves. Just saying why that can be a helpful step to take. Make the environment less overwhelming. We all have way too many toys and materials and can relate to that as well. So what we're suggesting here is that you try to keep the amount of stuff available to them at any given time very underwhelming because less is actually more at this age. So observe, pack some stuff up, put it away. Remember, you can come back to it. You can rotate through toys and activities, and that helps your kids stay interested and engaged. Another huge key to them developing sense of order is to have routines in place. So not necessarily a super rigid schedule where everything like lunch always has to be at 1215 and nap always has to be from this time to this time, not necessarily helpful or even realistic. So what we recommend are general windows in the day where certain activities are expected to happen. For example, the first chunk of the morning, they're awake, it's breakfast and chill in the playroom time more often than not, maybe not every day, but they can kind of expect that that's the deal most days, or maybe it's breakfast and go outside time. However, you need that part of the day to look. Lunch always is happening around the same-ish time in the day. Naps are offered consistently around the same window of time. And that's going to obviously depend on the child and their sleepy cues and what you're seeing. And honestly, we can unpack sleep in a whole different episode. But the idea here is that their little bodies are used to a general routine or layout for the day, and they know what to expect as much as is possible. We get that this is hard if you've got multiple kids and especially across larger age spans to the point where they have different planes of development and they have very different schedules and needs. So trying to just keep it as predictable as is possible. And the last note I want to make there is that concepts like spontaneous and surprise tend not to be super welcome in a baby or toddler's preferred lifestyle. Okay, those are things that humans appreciate once they already feel like they have a solid handle on life. 
and are even capable of being bored with their routine. So if you live a lifestyle where those things are a big part of it, that may or may not explain certain behaviors from a young child in your life. Oh, okay. You guys talk. That was good. I don't want to talk. You're just so good at talking. You are good at talking. I was just thinking back to an example of order in my toddler's life right now. Every day when we get to school, we walk a certain way. And I think it was pouring down rain one morning or something. And I was like, well, let's go in the building because I'm a teacher and we can walk in like a back secretive way. And I think he thought it was fun for a second. And then like the moment I got to his classroom, it was like this full breakdown, like, no, no. And he wanted to go back outside and walk back around. And we did because I felt bad at that point because I was like, crap, I knew I screwed up. But even this, I mean, it was probably like a three minute different kind of walk. And he still went in the same classroom with the same teachers. But that threw him enough to just be like, I cannot even function in this little bit of thing that you just changed. So it's, it's so, it's such a sense of order at this sensitive period. Yeah. I feel like one of the reasons that we feel it is so important to talk about these sensitive periods is because it's really easy to feel like, what is wrong with you? Like, Mm -hmm. why are you having this tantrum and how can I make it stop? And I hope that it brings some relief to know that this is totally normal and this is something that they cannot help but do. When we talked about sensitive periods in our previous episode, if you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. We kind of really get into what it is and why it's important. But one of the things is is that it is impulsive. It is a reaction. It is not intentional and they, they cannot help but do it. So this whole need for order is hardwired into their brains right now. And there's nothing that you are doing that's going to change that. And so I think that that's a really good example, Rachel, because it's even the tiniest things. And we can't do the same thing every day. We just can't. But just being aware of it, I feel like alone is helpful. That's what I was going to say. Being aware of it. Yeah, that's key. Being aware of it. Because that's the thing is for Rachel, you are trained. You were able to get to that hallway, have him lose his mind upon entering the same classroom with the same teachers. I mean, most parents are going to be like, it's the same place we come every day. Like not understanding that that little extra turn that you took because of the weather threw his entire experience off you were able to understand, okay, this is not your usual deal. This is not the door you usually come to. It is feasible technically for me to bring you around the other way. So let's do that. And that will fix this massive rift in your sense of order. So you were able to deal with that a little bit more efficiently, I think, than if you don't know, and you're just like shoving them through the door to the classroom. And you're like, I don't, what is, like Megan said, what is wrong with you? Like, why is this happening? And there's always this kind of, we've talked about this before in other episodes of like, they're manipulating you. Or if you give in to every whim, like if Rachel goes the same way every time, then they're going to expect special treatment and they're not going to become flexible. And there's these worries of I have to push them or have to change things up or they're going to be like this forever. And so I think another beauty of learning about sensitive periods is to know that they are fleeting. Yeah. I mean, sometimes that, you know, with this one, it lasts for years. So 
you you're dealing with it for a while. Hold on to your seat. Yeah, but it is nice to know that if you do go the same way every day and provide this sense of order for them and it brings them calm and comfort and confidence that the sense of order is going to leave, but the confidence is going to continue on. The trust in you as a caregiver is going to continue on. So that's more what we want to focus on is providing a calm environment, which we talk about in the prepared environment. If you want to go back to that and learn a little bit more about what we're saying about the minimalistic idea of the home and how to kind of pare down the chaos and why that's important. But I think that that is good to know. Of like They're not going to be like this forever. There's nothing that is wrong with them and it's okay to create this sense of calm and create this sense of predictability for them right now because that's what they need right now. And when we do that, we're meeting their needs, mm-hmm. which is something we all want to do as parents and as mothers. So Yeah, and, and this particular need doesn't last past the age of four, roughly. Exactly. That's this window yes. closes at around four, right? So we're not talking about having a 12-year-old that's like, no, we need to walk this <laughs> way to Target. Like, no, you know what? At that point, that is not developmentally appropriate and different actions would need to be taken there. For a one and a half to four-year-old, if you can understand it, you can A, kind of head it off at the pass, some of those tantrums. Like next time, Rachel probably will be like, well, if I can go that way that we usually go, I'm just going to go that way because I know what happens. And like, we're going to save both of ourselves from it. Or B, it's not a possibility. Let's say there was literally like a hazard in the way and it was not physically possible for you to go that way. Then at least when you get to the door going the back way, you can stop for a minute, get down to his level and be like, you are frustrated. You're upset. We didn't go the way that you like to go. You know, like you can you understand what's going on for him, which is going to save both of you guys so much trouble and big emotions. It's when you don't understand what's happening that it is so much harder to deal with. And it's just like, it doesn't make sense to you because you would never react this way. But you're putting that like rational, logical lens on a toddler. I think what you're saying there is really important because it can be easy to say, it's not that big of a deal. You know, it's just a door. Or if we're talking about, you know, like you said, the way that you go to Target, be like, why are you crying? It's not that big of a deal. Stop crying. You're being ridiculous because we're frustrated. And kind of what I was talking about before, the relationship is more important in this moment. And to them, this sense of order is a big deal. And so I always liken it to how we would feel as an adult. If you're really sensitive in a moment and you're going through something and if someone's like, it's not that big of a deal, if it's a big deal to you, it's a big deal. You know, so being sensitive to that, they're in this sensitive period, they're in this heightened state for order. And if you tell them that that's not a big deal, one, it's not going to work. And two, kind of shrugging off those feelings or telling them that they're not a big deal doesn't make that sensitive period or that sense of order go away. All it does is kind of closes off that communication between you and your child and your ability to kind of support them during those big feelings and those hard emotions, which we want to be there for our children when they're feeling hard things, just like we want to be supported when we're feeling hard things. So, well, and we want them to always want to come to us. Mm -hmm. So that's important to know that sometimes you can be accidentally inadvertently giving them the message that maybe they shouldn't come to us. Maybe we don't get it. Maybe we don't Mm -hmm. support it. Maybe we won't, I don't know, give it, give it the space and the time that it needs. I feel like it's also important or worth mentioning that 
it can be really helpful to understand this sense of order because if you are dealing with a toddler tantrum meltdown, you might be able to identify maybe a little bit better what might be causing it because you could ask yourself what changed in the environment around us or in our routine. And so this is what's funny is you see memes all the time about like, what did your toddler melt down about today? It's the weirdest little things that can be tied to the sense of order. Like you shared a story a couple episodes ago about how your little boy kept moving his milk cup to this different spot on the table. And you were talking about it in terms of giving him the independence to decide how he needs his place set. The thing is in his little head, there was a very specific sense of order, place setting, Everything goes in this spot. That's where it all needs to be every single night, regardless of how many times he spills the milk, the milk goes in this spot. That was what was more important to him than the milk spilling was that it belongs in this spot. And that is 100% sense of order. I think one of the things that made it click for me is like how many different ways it can manifest itself is a story Maria Montessori had in one of her many books. I'm sorry that I don't remember which one it is. I will try to come with a more legit citation next time. But she was on a hike with a group of people and there was a woman with a toddler and the toddler an hour into the hike started to lose its mind and nobody could figure the mom was offering this kid everything, a snack, milk, this, that. The kid would not stop crying and Maria was watching and watching and she made a good guess that maybe what had happened was that on the course of the hike, as the woman started to heat up, she took off her winter jacket that she had been wearing the whole morning And it was right around the time that she took off her winter jacket and tied it around her waist that her toddler started to lose its mind. And she walked up to the lady and was like, I know this sounds weird, but just put your jacket back on for a minute. I just want to see something. And the woman put her jacket on and the kid stopped crying right away, like a switch was flipped. It was a really interesting example for me of thinking about how in that little toddler's brain, the image in their mind of how this whole outing needed to be involved mommy wearing her jacket and mommy took her jacket off. And this was like not kosher with the experience that this toddler had in mind. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know anymore what I'm talking about. I just wanted to give some examples (laughs) of times where like, it seems like such a silly, crazy, typical toddler thing to be upset about, but it a lot of times gets tied back to their sense of order. I would kind of like to talk for a second because I love that story, but I could definitely see someone listening to that and being like, okay, so the toddler's running the show. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Somebody's going to say that. Yeah. 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 So so talk about that. I kind of want to talk and kind of pick your brains too about why during this sense of order, why is it important to, obviously we're not going to, we've talked about this a bunch of times, boundaries, we are not going to, every whim of our toddler, we are not going to bend and bow to every need that they have. Like my daughter wakes up every morning and wants a fruit snack at 6am. Sorry, like that is not something that we are going to do. But when I can, I do adhere to her sense of order uh, when it's appropriate. And so what what is happening there? Why are, why should we capitalize on it? And, and, and why is it something that maybe we want to fuel and nourish in their little brains? I think that it, it is confusing. And I'm sure to a non-Montessori and non-child development person, it is like, but why? But and but it truly is just this stage of development that we're helping manifest. And biologically, it's just what's happening in their brains. And I 
don't really know what else to say about that, guys. Basically, the overall goal of the sense of order is to help the child to feel confident and comfortable within their surroundings and to want to explore them and interact with them and just like absorb them more efficiently, right? So that's why that's the big overarching goal there. What we're trying to explain is that this comes with a lot of little journeys and quests and complications that all, again, come back to this sense of order, which is doing this whole huge job of helping them to figure out their like existence in the world right now. I do want to like finish out this sense of order, which we took a long time talking about, and you might need to cut a lot of this out. I want to finish off by kind of answering my own question, (laughs) um, which I think that you both got into, but like just kind of in summary is that there's this sense of order in place and that the environment that we set up is aiding them in this sensitive period to feel calm confident and feel the safety to explore. And we are part of their environment. We've talked about that. So the world around them, also us, the way that we interact with them is helping them to build this sense of order and build this peace and calm within themselves so that they can continue to explore further. And this is the foundation for math and language. So Another, you know, if you're not like, okay, I don't care about this emotional stuff, this is something that is a huge necessity to be able to move forward into these more academic subjects. One, first thing that needs to be started is that that whole, we talk about concentration, confidence, and the ability to function in their environment. And then not only that, but we are kind of honing in that sense of order for later use. So I, that's why it's important. Great point. Thank you for answering your own question better than <laughs> we could. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's, yeah, let's move on. Let's move on to the next. Obviously, sense of order, huge, hugely part of our lives right now and hugely important part of the Montessori philosophy. Okay. The next one on the list is the refinement of senses. So you start to see this big time between the ages of two and six. So children refine their senses when exploring their environment. They become fascinated, especially with touch, taste, and smell. Everything seems to be a full body experience, as is evidenced by every single object going into their mouths and every single mealtime looking like a murder scene by the time you're done. This will test your patience. But it is huge work for these little ones as they develop these three major ways of navigating the world that we take for granted now. So remember, this is all brand new. Go ahead, guys. What do you want to say about that? I am here on... Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. On the Montessori School of Essex. So it here it says that the sensorial exploration manifests itself in three ways. So from birth to three years old, you're going to see mouthing, manipulation, texture, size, sound, and color. And if you have a small baby, you will know everything goes in their mouth. They're touching everything. They are exploring everything with their hands in their mouth. And as they start to get older into three years old, you might see them start to line things up. You might see them, um, you know, hitting rocks together to see what it sounds like. You might see them organizing things by color. From three years old and on, 
these sensations are heightened even more. So in the Montessori classroom, you'll see bells. You might see them with the color tablets and they'll be looking at different colors that are slightly different hues of others and seeing which one is lighter and which one is darker, which of course goes into language as well. And then from four to six-year-olds, these are refined even more. And so a big goal of the Montessori classroom and the Montessori home is to provide materials and activities that engage all of these senses. And there are very specific ones in the Montessori classroom, but at home, a great way to help your child explore is like Laura said, is to let them get a little bit messy with their food, go outside, let them touch everything. I know it can be hard to, maybe you don't want them to get into that dirty mud pile. If it's safe, let them touch things, let them feel the bark on the tree, let them jump in the puddle. Again, it, it kind of all goes into the situation. Maybe that's not an option that day. Maybe you're on your way to church and you don't want to show up <laughs> covered in mud. Like that's that's okay too. But when you have the opportunity to let them explore their need, and I say this is a need, this is yeah. a sensitive period. They need to explore the world around them through their senses. So a lot of parents have a question of how do I provide a Montessori experience in my home if I don't have Montessori materials? We've talked about it. They're expensive and they are maybe confusing if you're not trained. So smell, taste, touch, sight, um, sound. It's really easy. I mean, really. If you can, yeah, if you can provide yeah. all of those, which I, again, the easiest way is to just go outside. Um, but if you can provide activities that are for them to be able to explore in that way, that's all you got to do. One of my child's favorite things to do for a long, long time now is ever since she could pull herself up to like the second, third shelf of the spice rack that sits on the floor, she likes to shake them right? So she's got sound there. She likes to put them in size order and group similar looking spices together. So that's all visual. She likes to open them up and smell them. And she likes to lick the tops of them, which is not always a super fun, depending on the spice that she picked. But um, it is so fun to watch and it is all of her senses and it's totally free. She just plays with the spices on the spice rack. Obviously, I don't let her like, you know, dump out nice ones and stuff. But I mean, I'm like a candle hoarder and I have so many candles. And I mean, that's like a simple one to just have like a smelling, a smelling activity of all the different candles that I have. And, you know, like some are floral, some like are cinnamon or, you know, I'm very holiday driven with my candles. So I have <laughs> tons and tons and tons. That's super simple, too. Like, I'm, I'm sure most parents have candles in their home or go to the dollar store or something. They have cheap candles there of some smells. And that's at least using some senses. I mean, I love the the spices just because they're already in your totally. cabinet. We don't have candles. So I love that idea because they're already there. And then also like you can just go on a walk and smell flowers. And I mean, and it just, it's something that happens part of their normal lives. And so it's just letting them have those opportunities instead of we talked about how, you know, they might be walking down the street and they might want to stop and touch a tree and you might be in a hurry and be like, okay, like this is ridiculous. Let's go. We have a place to be. If you can and you have the time, let them touch the tree. That's the 
<laughs> That's this the is the lesson. <laughs> yeah, that you do Let not touch need Montessori materials for yeah. any of this stuff at all. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. The next one, I think we can be really quick on this one because we did an entire episode on it, yeah. grace and courtesy. So you really see a peak for this concept of grace and courtesy from ages two to six. So grace and courtesy are truly the building blocks for a children's social interactions and to a degree, their confidence and self-worth. So that was kind of the grace part, confidence and self-worth, and the courtesy being how they interact with others in society. So providing ample opportunity to observe and interact with people in their community helps them to become aware of the environment and the feelings of people around them, how those feelings impact them, how their actions impact others. It can also help them to build confidence in their ability to exist in society, and that is pretty huge nowadays. The one little bullet note I made there was, and we covered this in that episode, but don't you don't force it, okay? So you don't have to be like structuring your kid constantly so every waking second is in some kind of play group, some kind of class, some kind of something. You don't have to do that. If that's what you do and that's what you prefer and that's what you're loving, then go for it. But if you are more like me and feeling like, oh my God, something's wrong with me because I don't have her in all kinds of activities and groups and stuff. I just want to let you know that these skills will come without them being forced and at your kid's own pace. You just keep providing the opportunities. Yeah. And I think we talked about in that episode, which you can go back to, um, manners matter. Yes. What is grace and courtesy? So you can go back and we talk about that for a very long time. And something that we do talk about is that it can be very simple. It can be a wave. It can be holding the door open for someone. It does not need to be this whole performance. So you start where you can and you start where your child is comfortable and you go from there can be, you know, as, as, as simple as that. So if you need some ideas of where to start, you can go to that episode. Yes. Okay. All right. What's after that? Refinement of movement, ages two and a half to four and a half. So typically children master the large motor movements first. That was the gross motor that we talked about in the first episode. Then they kind of transition into mastering these small movements or fine motor skills. So this is when they are very interested in using tongs, the kitchen tool, right? Transferring things, um, tweezers, opening and closing different types of objects, threading things through holes, chopping. You might see them start to pick up crayons and markers and things, not necessarily with a perfect pincher grip yet, but kind of moving towards that. This is all those fine motor skills that you start to see developing between those ages. Anything you guys want to say about that? No, I do not. I say let's keep trucking. All right. After that, social skills, um, specifically manners, the idea of manners. So from about two and a half to five years old, The skills are at first absorbed through everyday life. And uh, again, we've talked a lot about how the teachers and guides in the classrooms are always modeling these types of manners. We're always also saying please and thank you. We're always also sort of navigating conflict resolution in respectful ways, all of that kind of stuff, right? So they absorb that through observing in their everyday life. And then later you'll start to see a preschool-aged kid act it out in different types of play or exercises. So for example, preparing a dish an imaginary dish or serving the dish to someone or, or, or even actually preparing a real dish or real snack in your classroom and going around and offering that to people. Um, that actually does happen a lot in Montessori classrooms, offering to refill someone's water, stuff like that. You'll start to see in a children's house or preschool aged classroom, kids are interested in those concepts and they want to practice them. I think it just kind of goes along, um, 
somewhat with grace and courtesy because a lot of things that are practiced in the Montessori classroom are building those social skills. And that's also a part of grace and courtesy, understanding how to ask for something or to communicate with a friend in a kind way and not just taking something out of somebody's hand. So I think it correlates really well. Okay. Um, I mentioned earlier the idea with fine motor picking up a writing utensil. So learning to write, there tends to be a sensitive period for that skill at around three and a half to four and a half, a little bit of a smaller window there and a little bit earlier than usually focused on in a traditional setting. In a traditional setting, a lot of times kids aren't really expected to pick up a pencil and start writing legible letters and putting together words until more like six, five and six. Um, So in the Montessori world, we start to try to capitalize on this skill at around three and a half to four and a half. So a Montessori environment provides what we like to say is mental and manual materials. So for example, to satisfy the manual work, the hands-on work, children have these cut out letters. Um, You may have heard of sandpaper letters. So it's a letter that has like a sandpaper backing and you trace it around it with your fingers. And it's a very, very like tangible, tactile, sensory experience. Writing and reading are two different things and writing oddly comes first in in terms of sensitive periods. Writing is three and a half to four and a half. Learning to read is four and a half to five and a half. And it actually emerges because of the writing. Children begin to then decode the meaning of the words and the phonetics that they have been working on to put together their writing with an adult. This part is just so... I'm going to try not to talk about it for too long because I go down this road like every episode about how genius this woman was and I can't talk about it enough is that we talk about these sensitive periods and we talk about the refinement of fine motor skills and the need for sensorial exploration and she put them together and we are using the fine motor skills and the senses to learn to write and it blows my freaking mind (laughs) right it blows it in a million pieces all over the walls so it's genius one of the reasons yeah one of the reasons that you won't find the fight that it might be to learn to read with Montessori kids is because like they're not special it's not like, oh, it's a Montessori kid, so they're just smarter than everybody no, else. No. They're not smarter than everybody no. else. There is just a method that we are following to adhere to these sensitive periods, and it's genius. It's Every kid. Every kid is more inclined to be interested and want to absorb those skills at that time. Very few are even having that offered to them. Yeah. I'm so excited for Megan to do her training because yeah. that's like, that's, <laughs> I'm going to be screaming like, at you guys all the time. Like, I, they hit on in my toddler training and I'm sure they hit on in y'all's training, but it's not like mm-hmm. you're they're They're learning it in that right. children's house This level. is the thing. It comes yeah. after you. And in theory, it comes before us. Exactly. And so right. the magic of those lessons is happening solely in a children's house classroom. So we are going to need Megan to circle back. I know, I know one of the things that really impressed. So the sandpaper letters is a very concrete introduction to something that is otherwise quite abstract. And so there's this very, again, hands-on experience with the concept of a, of a letter from the alphabet. And then on top of that, from what I understand, and you'll have to correct me, or if there's a listener out there that knows better, then please correct me. 
it is pretty rare that they are taught like ABCs in terms of like A, B, C and all the letter names. I think for the most part, they are actually first taught the letter sounds. Yeah. And they almost identify the letters as their sound. So instead of saying B, they say B instead of saying. Yes. If you were to point to a letter to a child who is in this age range, if you said, what is that letter? If it was an A, they would not say A. Well, a Montessori child, they would not say A, they would say A. And then part of that is that they, so they don't have to decode. If you've, if you've ever learned another language, you'll know that as you talk, you might listen and in your head, you're speaking your language and then you have to kind of translate it and then speak it out in another language. And so that's kind of what's happening for the child when they have to learn the alphabet. Okay, that's A. What does A say? Ah. And instead, you can just phonetically say it. K. That's A. That's T. K. At. So it's, it's all very genius. It's all very methodical. It is all based on science and research and observation. And again, my brain is smattered across the ceiling, walls, and floor. We'll clean it up later. <laughs> and you don't even know yet. You still have to start yeah, it. You have to actually go training. through your training. Megan's mouth is never going to close her jaw. That's what I'm saying. Like every week that I'm in it and I'm going to have to talk to you guys, like I'm just going to yell at you. And <laughs> Can't wait to be yelled at. This is crazy. <laughs> I, yeah. And I mean, we do cover it. You have to learn that stuff in your training, even when you're not in that specific age group, but it's going to be really cool to dive deeply into it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I just, again, I know the very cursory, like they teach a letter sound yeah. instead of a name necessarily. They teach the short vowels before they teach the long vowel sounds. Like I know some bare bones parts of it, but I think there's probably mm-hmm. a lot more to that method, to the science there that I would love to know. Okay. Uh, that brings us to, I think the last one for today. So sadly we did not even touch the second plane of development (laughs) ages six through 12, because there are sensitive periods within that. And we are aware that there are probably listeners who have older kids or at some point someday will have older kids and might want to circle back to these. So we might have to do a, a separate episode on the second plane, but for today I'll stop with in the first planes, last sensitive period is a kind of an explosion into the idea of math. So we've got quantities, numerals, geometry, all of that good stuff is coming between about four and six. So a child counts one by one and begins to have a very concrete and linear understanding of quantities at first. So like in Rachel's classroom with a toddler kid, they're not necessarily learning how to count to 10 on you know, like a number line, they are instead being handed like two pom-poms. This is two in your hand. Like you have it right here physically, not necessarily the numerals right away as much as the quantities. And so as they get older, you go from the quantity and a very concrete attachment to that, to the numerals that represent the quantities. And then eventually you start moving into operations And you can have, if you introduce these concepts in a very concrete way at first, that they truly understand the number, they understand place value, they understand how numbers interact within place value, then you can have kids doing some pretty advanced operations with materials, with a very concrete aid, you know, in their hands at a very young age. So like we just said, four to six. So we'll have kids in a children's house classroom, which is three to six, 
solving multiplication problems, solving division problems, doing addition with exchanging and subtraction with borrowing. I mean, it will blow your mind what you see these little kids doing. And to them, it is very much sort of a game of moving these beads to here. And if I have 10, it's worth this right here. And it's just, it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. And I wish so much. This is probably the thing I'm the most angry about in my life. If I had learned math, the Montessori way, I would be like a doctor right now, you guys. I I memorized. I was moved straight to abstraction as most of us were. And we can come back to that in the second plane episode. But man, if I had had a concrete understanding of what I was doing and not just memorizing formulas because a teacher told me to, it would have been a completely different experience. Yeah. 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 I wouldn't hate math. I because I really am not a math lover, to be honest. But I have never, I have never had a student that hates math. I have never had a yeah. student that didn't say math I was think one I of their top it. favorite subjects. I mean, yeah, and no, and that's that's the craziest part is even for me as a teacher, I did not like math growing up. Was not good at it, or thought I wasn't good at it. And um, my favorite thing to teach is math because mm-hmm. it makes so much sense, and it is so much fun, and the materials are so beautiful and so cool, and just are amazing. I remember the first time I observed. I guess it was a lower elementary classroom. They were doing division. And I was like, oh my gosh, if somebody would have taught me this way, I would not have sat at the dinner table for hours and fought with my mother about yeah. how to do these math Yes, problems. yes, I 100%. Mean, it's literally like, yeah. 100%. So if you're at home with your kid and you're thinking, I don't have beautiful Montessori materials, what the heck do I do? I'm just going to circle back to, depending on the age of your kid, start with concrete quantities. So don't get a number line and keep showing your two-year-old, you're two, you're two pointing at the number two on the, on the yeah. number line, which I, again, I'm, I'm not judging you. If you've done this, you didn't break anybody. You haven't made a mistake. It's not that they're not going to understand math. It would just be more effective if instead of showing them the numeral, you went and got two dolls from the basket and said, one, two, two, you're turning to, you know, like give them some context, give them some concrete introductions to the ideas of numbers and different values. Yeah. And I mean, I think the cool thing about talking about all these sensitive periods is that when you look at math, okay, so we're saying four to six, if you have a two-year-old, a three-year-old who's not counting, it's fine because that's not where they are. So from those earlier ages, it's a lot about vocabulary. It's a lot about talking. They're not necessarily making those connections. So I think one of the other things that we discussed about the whole flashcard thing is that you just, you don't have to worry. You don't have to think, oh no, they're not doing it. So I have to continue to give it to them until they do learn. Like this sensitive period will come, take a breath, it's fine. Same thing for ABCs. We don't got to teach them. You're off the hook. It's just not something that needs to happen. I do want to say that when we talk about math, when we talk about language and the specific ways that we would teach this in an elementary classroom, in a children's house classroom, in a toddler classroom, I do want to reiterate, you are not a teacher. You do not have to do this. You do not have to go out and buy anything. You don't have to go and teach your child long division because the girls from Montessori Moms in the Wild (laughs) told you that you had to. Okay, so you are not a teacher. 
you are not a Montessori teacher. You don't need to do any of this. This is up to the teachers of your children. If you are a homeschool parent, maybe this would be a cool thing to learn about. But if that's something that you're worried about, we're just talking about the method. This is how things are taught in the Montessori classroom. This is what Maria Montessori came up with. This is the genius that she was. So we're not giving any advice at how you should do it. This is purely what she's come up with, her method, her schooling, her education, and and that's it. So I don't want anyone to think that, like we're just talking about the sensitive periods. Yeah, and I think just a normal, you're not a Montessori mom, but you're interested in listening, just knowing the ages of these sensitive periods yeah. might even just help give you peace because you're mm-hmm. supporting it. And then you're not like, oh my gosh, when you're at the coffee shop and everybody's chatting about oh, well, my toddler's doing this. Well, you know, in your mind, your toddler shouldn't be doing that. And it's 110% okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. You you are the support. If you're not the, if you're not the educator of your child, you are the support of them. And this is a way that you can better understand their development, but you are not in charge of teaching them this way. If that's not the path that you've chosen, which for most people isn't. I don't even teach my own children. So (laughs) So yeah, I just don't want anyone to think that they have to do this stuff. No, please don't think you have to do this. Again, the point of the sensitive period is to explain that they are naturally and pretty effortlessly acquiring these things, whether you want them to or not. So you can capitalize on it, but you're not required to do anything. And also on the other side of the spectrum, if you are already doing X, Y, and Z things, at home to bolster these academic skills. And it's something you guys enjoy together, something the kid wants to be a part of. It's like a thing for you, then awesome. If that is working for you, super cool. I do want to say too, like we are talking about why we think that this method and this type of education is so genius. There might not be a Montessori option for you. Your child might not go to a Montessori school and not be able to go to a Montessori school. And there are other ways that you can support these sensitive periods. And we know Montessori school, so that therefore we're going to talk about it. If your child goes to a different type of school, then they'll be doing it a different way. And I don't know how else to. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't want it to be like, you have to go to a Montessori school because they'll be smarter and they'll get mad. Like, that's true. You know. That's true. That's true. And it, yeah, it definitely no. is coming off that way because obviously we all feel like, oh my gosh, there is no denying the cool results that we've seen from being mm-hmm. in the environment that we've been in. Like I get that. Yeah, but-, but also I think I can say right now, Laura and me were just chatting. We don't know where our child's going to be forever. Would I love for my children to be in a Montessori environment forever? A hundred percent. But financially and depending on where life takes me, I don't yeah. know if that, that'll be possible. Yeah. So. I may have to find other options too when it comes to a later point in life. In which case, knowing all of this stuff can be so helpful because when you're going to that school, whatever that school is for you, you can be going in with a list of questions either to overtly ask them or to have going in the back of your mind of how are these needs being met for my kid. Hmm, I like that. I like that. I know that this is what's going on with my kid. So wherever the setting has to be, you can now have this sort of little checklist of, okay, so I know that right now this is really going to be really big for her or him. How is that happening at school? Or what way is that being supported? Or if they start seeing this behavior, do they know to handle it this way? You know, like 
Yeah. There's so many things that can empower you as the parent, even if you're not at an idyllic accredited Montessori school, right? You can still know more about what your kid needs and what you could find for your kid and how to advocate for your kid, whether that's you teaching them or someone else. But it is hard and it's hard to not question yourself. So just just know trusting your mom gut when you think something might be off, go talk to your pediatrician, reach out to somebody who has more knowledge than us, because we are not at all those developmental people. We're not pediatricians. We're not where we just know the Montessori philosophy. And that's what we're sharing with you. Yes. Yeah. If you are concerned, please reach out to a professional. Yeah. Okay. Let's finish out the show with a segment called confessions from the wild. Laura, you're up. Oh, I go first? Oh, geez. Okay. All right. I think I promised last episode that I too, Megan, would dig up some sort of traumatic childhood experience, preferably from elementary school ages. And I'll tell you what, it's a it's a doozy to even choose just one, but this is relevant to my last last week when I was not on spring break. I had a kid, I had a couple different kids with bloody noses, okay? I've had one ever in my life. And let me tell you how I got it. Third grade, Mr. Moore's class. It is dead of winter in Vermont. Megan, you're now familiar with the just hellish landscape that is Vermont in the winter. And we're outside at recess and I'm in my full blown like Christmas story style body suit, snow suit that hopefully you can't go down all the way. You're this permanent starfish position and playing outside and the bell rings and it's time to line up. Mr. Moore's class is around the side of the building. That's where we line up. So I have to beeline it straight from like, I'm like the back corner of the playground over to the opposite side of the playground in that corner of the building. And I'm running like an Olympian, I'm sure is what it looked like to everybody else. And I hit a patch of ice that is right under, you know, the little, like the little, like the three different levels of parallel bars that you get that you can hang on and flip on. Megan, they're on the swings playground at our school. If you can remember. You know those? I was saying mm-hmm, mm-hmm on mute. So, mm-hmm. Oh, you're on mute. Yep. Okay. Typical, typical Megan. Okay. <laughs> so those three bars, but they were taller. Oh, maybe I was shorter. I don't know. But I thought for sure that I was like choosing the one that I could easily run straight under, except <laughs> I was not. And then I slipped when my foot oh, caught gosh. the ice and my face went straight into the parallel bar and like nose first. Uh-huh. And I hit the ground. I blacked out. Also, first time in my life I ever blacked out. I blacked out. It did not last terribly long because when I came to and like stood up, they were almost ready to go inside. And Mr. Moore's at the front counting all the heads and realizing he's missing one. And I see him realizing I'm not there and turning towards me. And I'm like, oh no, this is the worst case scenario for me. I did not want to be seen as a child. Here I am now covered in my own blood It's snow on the ground. So I'm leaving a blood trail on the way to the class and everybody is looking for Laura. Where's Laura? Did anybody see Laura? How come Laura's not in line? Oh, there she is. She looks like she just came from a freaking Rob Zombie movie. Like what is happening to Laura? That was um, a really, really fun experience. My first and last ever bloody nose. I would like to say blackout, but I can't. College. (laughs) I can't because of college. Anyway. (laughs) 
Wow. That um, one is very impressive that you have only had one bloody nose. Yeah, and two, I am like just concerned for you what more you than I am. I used to don't, I don't even want to <laughs> laugh at you. I just want to just like come over there and grab your little face and are you okay? <laughs> it's okay to bleed in front of everybody. Don't, don't be ashamed of your blood. Oh my gosh. I would have blood. been so ashamed, but I, that's why I'm just concerned for you. Having to bleed in front of your classmates is just humiliated, dude. It, no, yeah. Forget that my nose may have been like broken in two places. No. I was did not concerned about that. Of course. Of course I did. Yeah, I would have been like, mommy, come get me. I was fine. I didn't have a broken nose. Um, sorry. <laughs> and that's what I get. This is what I get for sharing my deepest, darkest, darkest memories. That's definitely not deepest or darkest, but I thought it would be uh, a fun warmer upper. What's the word I'm looking for? A farm. Warmer upper. That's what it is. A farm um, warmer upper. That's not, none of yeah. that is an actual expression. Feel- oh my God. I have so much editing to do. <laughs> I <feel> warmed up. <laughs> <laughs> You all warmed up for some trauma? <laughs> all right, Rachel. <laughs> oh, I hate myself. <laughs> okay. Well, I had my sister's wedding this weekend. It was beautiful and perfect. But remember, I'm 34 weeks pregnant, and um, my boobs are really ready to nurse. They are. We are at our peak. So... I had to wear these like sticky boob type bra type thing, you know, and I've worn it before, but it's been like a long time ago, like pre-baby, you know, like to a formal in college when my body looked very different. So I didn't try them on before because that's just where I'm at in life right now. My sister ordered them for me and I was like, just give me an extra size up. I'm sure they'll be okay. They came from Amazon. On wedding day, I, like, go to put them on. And first of all, I don't even remember how to put them on. So my mom and me are, like, in the bathroom putting them on and sticking them. Like, she's pulling so tight to one side and, like, sticks to one side and then the other side. And literally, I mean, they don't fit. I mean, they worked, but my boobs are just sitting there. Just, like, sitting in this, like, random cup. And then later... After the big day, after everything is perfect, I go to, like, peel them off. And, oh, my gosh, I forgot what that was like. Like, the glue was, like, stuck to my side. I had, like, peel off this sticky glue. I mean, it was terrible. You looked adorable. I you saw did. pictures. You looked so cute. You, you did. did look so I don't adorable. recommend sticky boobs at 34 weeks pregnant. Just FYI to anybody listening. Probably the most important piece of information that we've given today. All right, Megan, close it out. Okay, I I was starting to think about this one, and I I don't know how appropriate it is. I don't know. We might have to put like an E next to this episode. I don't know what the laws are. The Spotify <laughs> oh, laws. What is? I cannot <laughs> wait to are hear we this. Going with Holy it's not, it's not that bad, but it's just like the anyway. Okay, and it's not. I really set this up in a very very big way and I will certainly disappoint but (laughs) I was in the fifth grade and um I was really smart (laughs) like I was like really smart (laughs) like a genius like Maria Montessori um so I had to 
go leave my classroom for language and go to the sixth grade classroom. I thought you were going to say go to the smart kid classroom. (laughs) You freaking pain in the butt. All right, go ahead. Yes, I went and and I did my my language class in the sixth grade classroom because I was like really smart. Did I say that? (laughs) (laughs) You said that just a few times. And so um, the class that I was in was a bit hectic. The the teacher did not have a full command of this classroom. Oftentimes people would just stand on the tables and exclaim things and I was <laughs> sure. I was terrified of this classroom. Like every time I went, I was like so nervous. It was not a it was not a safe space. Um and to kind of give some background, I grew up in a very very religious home. And was quite sheltered as a young child into, like, I mean, honestly, into adulthood. So um, I was in this class full of all of these sixth graders who were learning about things that I didn't know about yet. And this boy in my class, he looked over at me and he asked me if I was a virgin. Again, I say that I come from a very religious home. The only time I have had heard that word is in the context of Christmas and Mother Mary and (laughs) Virgin Mary. So me putting those things together in my child mind was thinking, have I been impregnated by the Holy Spirit? No, I have not. (laughs) You big old (laughs) dummy. (laughs) So I look over at him with just like obvious just disdain and of just like, I'm smarter than you. And I was like, no. And he looked at me with his eyes really big and he was like, you're not. And I was like, no. And I left thinking, was I birthed Jesus on December 25th? At, like this guy, this guy. Anyway, I don't remember how later I learned what that actually was. And I still think about it. To this day, I remember his name. I remember what he looks like. I remember his last name that I told him that I wasn't a virgin in the fifth grade. And I know he's not listening to this, but I was. <laughs> I just want to clarify. But I was. And um, yeah, so I, I just, I was not, I was not <laughs> impregnated by the Holy Spirit with uh, Jesus Christ on Christmas. Okay, well, now it's my turn to not know if I should laugh or comfort <laughs> tiny Megan in this trying time. In this trying time. And the funny thing is that I looked at him like he was an idiot. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And I love that he was horrified by your response. Like, I love that he thought that he was like, gonna, oh, Megan just ripped the cord out of her headphones. That is how. <laughs> just beside herself she is right now beside myself well I was thinking about like the laws (laughs) I keep coming back (laughs) (laughs) to the Apple and Spotify law (laughs) am I allowed to say virgin (laughs) the virgin Mary the law oh gosh in accordance (laughs) in accordance with the laws This is it. This is how we get canceled. (laughs) Shut down. Taken down for Mm -hmm. mentioning virgins on Christmas. (laughs) 
The Holy Spirit. Shut it down. Shut it down. <laughs> Shut it down. Oh, don't get giggly before I have to do the conclusion again, guys. Okay. Thank you for listening to Montessori Moms in the Wild. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us, subscribe, rate, and review. We are available on Spotify, and now you can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram at Montessori Moms in the Wild or email us at Montessori Moms in the Wild at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next week, stay wild. I did it. I did it. it. Like a freaking professional. Freaking boss. Like a freaking professional. <laughs>